Welcome back to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. I am not Sailor, and I ain't got no time for a damaged case. So guys, thanks for walking me back. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been able to record. As you might be able to tell, I'm still uh, kind of coming back. Uh, had a, like a full week where I had no voice, all with laryngitis or or whatever. But thanks for having me back. Okay, it's good so to have that, you back. That's, your, that's you. your cover story, huh? Yeah, I missed you guys, <laughs> right. man. Miss you, miss you too. It's, it is not I the same without you. Allergies and lost voice, and so bear with me tonight. I'm still still fighting a little bit. All right. All right. Well, glad so what, to have what, you what, back. It's been a while. It's yeah. been a while. What the hell it's do we do while. on this show? What the hell do we do here? Huh. Well, <laughs> well, typically. Typically. Yeah. <laughs> typically. So, well, just for the listeners that might be new to the show, we typically compare two albums from one artist against each other. We discuss, usually argue, very professionally debate the merits, and in the end, only one album or artist reigns supreme. And guys, that is exactly what we are doing on tonight's episode all right so another typical episode um tonight we are revisiting motorhead and this is part two of our discussion and tonight we are going to do an album battle we are battling two of motorhead's classic albums overkill and ace of spades and it's really going to be interesting to see which one of these comes out on top And very important, lest we forget, guys, uh, something else of equal importance to all of us here on the show is whiskey. Every week, one of us pairs a whiskey with the theme of that show, and tonight, well, we're not doing that. Instead, let's go around the table here and discuss what we are all drinking this evening. So, Jake, what do you got in your glass tonight? <laughs> well, I, I did try to be... Uh thematic with uh with the topic of the evening and uh probably more specifically uh with lemmy and i am drinking a jack daniels single barrel barrel proof wow awesome it is uh i tell you what i i don't i i i've really never been able to connect with uh with jack daniels in in general the standard Uh um i I think like a lot of people I had a really bad experience with it as a youth <clears throat> and uh was never able to go back to it. Um but then uh you know one of our one of our buddies on Instagram uh Indiana Bourbon he uh he recommended to me that I give the uh the barrel proof a try so I did and man I got to tell you it's fantastic. I mean it's it's like uh this bottle I've had actually open for about a year now, and uh, it's changed quite a bit. It was okay. kind of uh, full of bananas and cream when I first opened it. It's really hot. I'll tell you that. Now that's it's like 135 proof. Like a recurring thing. I always hear people talking about bananas or mm-hmm. bananas foster whenever they talk about Jack Daniels. 
So, but that did that stick so, around? You said it was when you first opened it. When I first opened it, <clears throat> it was more of like a bananas and cream, like a bananas foster cheesecake kind of mm-hmm. thing. <clears throat> now, give him, excuse me, at, at barrel proof to me, it's it's a little hot. This is this is definitely one of those ones that. Uh, I think does better with a dash of water or I've got a, an ice block in here, uh, with this. And once that water hits it brings it, I think brings it down closer to that, like 120 proof range. It really shines. Did you it's say what the that, actual proof was on it? It's like 135. Think, somewhere oh, wow. There. That it's, is pretty yeah, high. It's, 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 it's way there. up there. Wow. <clears throat> and you know what? Sometimes you get in that heat range and it's, it's a good thing, and sometimes to me, I mean, this is all my own opinion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes too hot is just too hot, and uh, and this is kind of one of those that I really love over ice. I think it it lets the other more subtle flavors come through. Um, a lot of that heat is kind of dissipated now that this bottle's getting towards the end, and it's been open quite a while. Um, but it's it's a fantastic pour. Um, to your point, with uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I had heard, and I'm trying to think if it was, um, it might have been an interview with Jackie Zykin. Um, it was either like Jackie Zykin or someone else from Brown Foreman. Mm-hmm. And because uh, they use a common yeast strain throughout Old Forester and Jack Daniels. Oh, really? I throughout, didn't know yeah. That. <clears throat> and that yeast strain, uh, from my understanding, is known to have, that's, it's known to have that banana flavor quality. Okay. Well, that makes and that's, sense. And so I've heard that's why, you know, throughout Old Forester and Jack Daniels, why you get a lot of, you know, that banana throughout their offerings. So. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, it makes sense. I'm, it makes yeah. sense. I've never had anything from Old Forester that I didn't get a note of banana. And, and you know, to this point. At this point now, it might just be ingrained in my brain that every time I taste it, I get it because yeah, it's predisposed I'm to about trying it. to find that. It, it yeah. could be, yeah, because yeah, um, on our yeah. last episode, I know Matt, you were drinking um, Old Forester, the 100 proof. Oh yeah. So did it was you like no, get the bananas on that? Not not specifically, but like I said on the episode, it was like liquid candy. It was yeah. so just creamy and sweet and just delicious yeah <laughs> yeah so i was listening to that episode today yeah and as soon as ed started talking uh you know for let's just put a a real quick um caveat on on this episode this is part two of motorhead so if you haven't listened to part one of the motorhead go back to the last episode and listen to it because you're going to get all of your background information on that episode this episode we're going to be talking more specifically about these two albums um and also right now we're talking about ed made a reference to his tasting notes on the old forester signature (laughs) 100 versus matt's taste profile and uh i gotta say i connect with matt on that one i think that's one of the best uh like 20 24 bottles you can get i mean it's a i don't know what it is in your area but that's it's right in that 20 dollar range here 2023 somewhere in there so anyway something happened that's caused me to like like question everything as far as my palate (laughs) goes i think i already talked to you guys off air about this but um especially now with that old forester it's like i'm kind of wanting to go back now and revisit some of these bottles because 
Well, at least Sailor, at least Sailor tried your Eagle Rare. <clears throat> yes, and that that and that's she it did right agree there. that you got a funky one. Yeah, you you, <laughs> you just that's what I was going to mention was that I know throughout this show it's always been kind of a it comes up every once in a while about my disdain for Eagle Rare because I just think you know I have one bottle and that's been my benchmark for for this whiskey and to me it just tasted it was not good it was. I, I always describe it as toothpaste and charcoal. And so anyway, <clears throat> I, if you've listened to the news lately, you'll know that Sailor paid a visit to the, uh, the Burma Geek Studios here. And yes, indeed. <clears throat> it was, I gave her a, a taste of my bottle of Eagle Rare. She smelled it, made kind of a <laughs> face. She's like, hmm. Tasted it. She's like, yeah, this is kind of funky. You know, I drink in lots of Eagle Rare in my time, but and I love it, but this is just just not good. <laughs> <laughs> so, that said, now I'm kind of questioning other things that I haven't liked <laughs> in the past, and that, that old Forrester being one of them. Go back and try it. So, yeah. yeah, you know, <clears throat> the one thing I might say about about the old Forester, the hundred proof, um, and I think uh, I kind of do this with a lot of the maybe because um, that's not that's not really a bottom shelf. I guess that's kind of like a middle. I call it a lower middle shelf. shelf. I guess I don't know. Maybe we maybe sometime we need to create a tier system uh, for these bottles and what what classifies them to bottom shelf i think it's just like a price point that shelf. classifies it right well you it's know like, which doesn't so have anything to do with bottom taste, shelf but. is like sub 20 right yeah w- i mean would that kind of be well considered as price point wise yeah <clears throat> bottom shelf and then mm. but then you had this huge range of like i don't know 20 to because when you think about top shelf bottles you're probably thinking more what 60 to 70 and up because when you think about like let's say the of course nowadays as the you know the prices keep keep growing if you look at like the limited edition bottles which are maybe that's the ultra premium is that's probably like a shelf above top shelf that's like the shelf behind the counter. <laughs> behind the yeah. counter. Yep. <clears throat> there you go. <laughs> but because uh, I was thinking about that uh, the other day, we got uh, our local group here. We we had selected a Buffalo Trace barrel um, a while back, and it arrived this week. And so um, we've been enjoying that. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, so I was drinking it. I was really, really loving it. And I... I the words came out of my mouth, but it didn't make sense because I said to one of my buddies, because he was trying it, and he's like, man, this is this is one of the best Buffalo Trace I've had. It's great. And I said, yeah, you know, it's pretty darn good for a bottom shelfer. But then it clicked to me, like, that's it's not really a bottom shelfer. I mean, it's a $29 bottle. Well, we actually, we, we can pick one up here in town where I live for like 22-something. They've got a shelf full of them for like 20, less than 23 bucks. That's a good price. Yeah, I always have really to good remind remind myself we we have one of the higher uh, alcohol taxes in Michigan, so yeah. we're always a little well, bit higher. 
And it's rare that you find something here cheaper than other places because we tend See, to be in, a bit higher too. But. In Jersey, though, that was allocated. So, I mean, you're finding it on the shelf for 35 to $40. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah, okay. for regular Buffalo Trace. I swear wow. to God. Yeah. It's a grocery. You can find it at any grocery store here. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was today. I was at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> Sazerac, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> Actually, I think uh, just, you know, just in recent recent months, Blanton's has become uh, hard to find around here. And that was kind of uh, Buffalo Trace and, and reg, you know regular Eagle Rare and regular Buffalo Trace you can still find pretty much everywhere. Um, but those are like the last two holdouts of the uh, of the Buffalo Trace Sazerac uh, lineup. I think uh, I think they have Freddie Johnson said it in in in, in a uh, an episode. It might have been like Burn Pursuit or something, where he said we have we have nineteen we have nineteen different bourbons, and all nineteen of them are allocated. No, oh, <laughs> that's crazy. And it's like, well, yeah. yeah, but but by whose choice? Exactly. Yeah. Is it yep. the <laughs> distiller? <laughs> so, right, so Ed, Ed, what do you got in your glass? I'm continuing on the theme with Tennessee whiskey here tonight, because as I mentioned earlier, Sailor um, paid a little visit to the Bourbon Geek studio here, and she <laughs> brought along with her, she came bearing gifts, she brought me a bottle of George Dickel, Tennessee, Sour Mash Whiskey <laughs> number 12. So, she, brought she, the, she brought the Dickel she brought the, the Dickel. Bourbon Geek studios. Yes. You know, in, in a... In a, in a uh, not well, I guess not so much of a stretch, but you would have thought that that Lemmy with his background that 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 Dickel would have been his Tennessee whiskey of choice. Seems like that's a perfect pairing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I'm getting a lot of um, the one flavor that I keep getting on here. I keep focusing on is like a juicy fruit gum hmm. in here. It's in, I'm kind of like an artificial fruity kind of flavor but um it's not super complex at all but it's just kind of just it's just tasty it's pretty good not bad i definitely drink it we should maybe mention we should maybe mention actually that uh ironically having a uh having a second episode of of motorhead was was sailor's idea she is uh you know a huge huge fan of motorhead and lemmy and and then at the last second she is traveling as as we talked about and as was talked about in the news segment and uh she was surprised by some of her family um mm-hmm. at, at one of the stops that she was making tonight and so she uh you know as we all all will do from time to time family comes first and so she's hanging out with her family and we're gonna try to try to push on and make sense of any of this without her but uh Definitely. Matt, are you uh, are you drinking your whiskey segment tonight? Uh, well, we don't have a whiskey segment tonight, but I am drinking. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking you we're just going around the table, shooting the shit about whiskey, <laughs> yeah. you know? keeping it kind of whiskey talk. Keep just whiskey real. talk, you keep know, it keeping it ca- keeping it casual, Ca- keeping it casual. Um, so this I is whiskey co- talk. Speak amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of wish I whipped this out last week. Uh, because 
You got Dickle too? I got Dickle too. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we are talking about, you know, a man who I hold in, in very high regard as far as music goes. And I should have really, you know, nothing against Old Forest or Single, uh, single Barrel, but, or 100 Proof. But, um, you know, it's not one of the best I have. And uh, I decided to open a bottle, one of the couple bottles I have of one of the best whiskeys I have, at least I think, uh, in my opinion, it is. And that's the Yamazaki 12-year. Ooh. Um, yeah. Man, this stuff is so good. <laughs> I still have yet to try it. I actually uh, had Japanese that, and whiskey. it is. I mean, on the, I mean, on the nose, unexpectedly, it was like butterscotch candy, completely <laughs> butterscotch candy on the nose. And the mouthfeel is so light. Uh, it's so approachable. Um you know, you get a bit of a sweetness. It's not overly complex. It's just an easy sipper, and I can easily see why, um, you know, Yamazaki stuff is held in such high regard. I've had the 18. The 18 year is still in my top five whiskeys that I've ever tasted in my life. And, Ooh. you know, this is pretty damn close as well. So it sounds like that would be a pretty good introductory uh, whiskey to the Japanese whiskey world for someone who was really never... Um, it wouldn't be, if I was recommending a Japanese whiskey to someone who had never tasted one, this probably wouldn't be number one for me. Okay. Um, because it depends on if you're totally price buy a bottle or if you're, or if you're trying somebody else's bottles. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, totally price point wise is why I wouldn't recommend this right out of the gate. Uh, because depending on where you are, uh, the upcharge on it is, is, It'll be expensive because it's gotten allocated. It's a top like shelf that. whiskey. Yeah, so you're saying it's become it's become it's, be, yeah. it's become allocated. Yeah, a lot. I mean, most of the oh, Yama okay. and Hibikis have all become really hard to find. Yeah, I mean, there are other ones that I would definitely recommend. You know, to someone who's looking to get into Japanese, um, like what you know, what would you like recommend ha- to me? Well, ha- Hakushu, never, Hakushu, yeah. which is also a Suntory. Uh, now that product. one is that one's kind of smoky, isn't it? It. It's it's even lighter than this. It has a hint of smoke, but it's yeah. it's really really tasty. Um, that and then there's another one that just hit the U.S. market. I think last year uh, called Kayo. I think I'm pronouncing it right. K a i y o. Um, that mm. would be another one. Uh, fair price point, very approachable. Uh, and then you know, if you find you like those, then get in. You know, try finding Yamazaki because I think they <clears> set the bar definitely. Ready, okay. ready to have a ready to have a teardrop from your eye. Uh, yes. <clears throat> yesterday, so um, we uh, <clears throat> we we picked a, another um, Knob Creek barrel for our our local group here. Oh, uh, nice. Yes, last night, and uh, and one of my buddies that uh, admins the group with me, he dropped. A bottle of Hibiki twenty-one year old mm. that day, like like an hour before he came to my house to to pick the barrel, and he was in like rough spirits, like he was so upset. And you have no idea. <laughs> Would I mean, you say you broken just, spirits? I'm, oh, completely. <laughs> I mean, just go just go home and Google or or go on Wine Searcher and look at the prices that. Are we anything, talking 200? Anything, anything Hibiki over no, 12 the value, year old is going the, for. Yeah. The value on the 21 year old was $750. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I'd be crying too. <laughs> well, holy crap. He, he was particularly <clears throat> upset because he had just sold it and was packaging it when he dropped oh, it. Oh no. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so he had to refund refund the money, which uh, was unfortunate. <laughs> and Japanese whiskey has a brief, I guess in in the whole spectrum of whiskey history. Japanese whiskey has a very brief history. I mean, they've only started mm-hmm. producing in the 1920s, the early 1920s. But the ground that they've gained and the the accolades that they've attained in that short period of time, albeit a hundred years, well, but that's like I said, years. But yeah, but like, but like I've said in the in the spectrum of whiskeydom, sure. you know, you're talking <laughs> centuries upon centuries. Um, you know, they've really, you know, set the bar pretty high. I would think. Sure. And in many ways, at least in my opinion, and a lot of other people's opinions, have surpassed Scotch in a lot of different facets. Yeah, I, th- I think what's really cool about uh, what what the Japanese whiskey scene has done is that uh, <clears throat> um, you know the whole foundation of it was, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna blank on the guy's name, but I listened to a history of it, and it was really interesting that the guy that kind of kickstarted the whole Japanese whiskey scene. Um, I want to say he was part of the group that started, uh, was either Habiki or Yamazaki and then ended up leaving to start the other one. So like one was, well, well, yeah, I believe the gentleman, whatever his name, the gentleman's name was Tori, I believe. And he was, he was like, I I have to correct me. Everyone was a huge scotch fan and he He was a huge scotch fan, but he he was actually like a traveling scotch. Yeah. Yeah. He he was like a pharmacist or something was his, was his career. And, um, and he actually, it was him who started the Yamazaki distillery. And then he had uh, a gentleman by the name of Takatsuru who actually, kind of like a Tesla Edison thing kind of branched yeah, off of yep. him and he started the Nika distillery. Nikki, yes, uh, that's Nika, what it was. Yeah, Nika. Which I believe I believe, yeah. <clears throat> that was the story. Yeah, I was I was really, yeah, was really yeah. fascinating uh the history behind it. But uh but yeah, you know, but you can't make scotch outside of Scotland. Correct. So it forces But you can it, you can it study them and... to make their own version of it. So it's it gives you a whole nother uh, you know, very different profile, which yeah. I, I actually, uh, so that, that buddy that I was just talking about, he's, uh, he's the one that's, he's big time into, into Asian whiskeys and, and scotch and, uh, and Irish whiskeys as well. And so he's been the one that, uh, has really opened my eyes to different, different Asian whiskeys. And, uh, I've become a big fan of, uh, stuff from Cavallon through him. I've had some really great stuff through them. I've had uh, some really fantastic uh, Asian whiskeys. Yeah, and it's that- all it's all based on Scotch whiskey, basically. I mean, a lot of the early guys, the guys that I mentioned, you know, they lived in Scotland. They studied the terrain, the water, um, you know, where they built the distilleries. Mm-hmm. They tried to mimic that when they got back to Japan to try to do it 100% plus 50%. They wanted to do it yeah. exactly the same way plus 50% better. And hmm. in many ways, they did that. Japanese always improving on things. Exactly. Well, and and I would say a lot of their a lot of their stuff is is not as far of a stretch for you, you know not it's not as uh, not as peaty and a lot of it's not as smoky of a profile as a lot of the scotches out there. So for somebody like me that is a bourbon drinker, I mean I I've had quite a few different scotches, but I my palate just 
has a hard time with really high phenolic scotches that it just it it gets to me i can't get past it so some of the you know a lot of the asian whiskeys that i've had i get a lot of like uh honey toast and different flavors like that that are you know kind of more lean towards bourbon but not as sweet not as sugary and uh so yeah i've become a little bit of a fan of asian whiskey it's expensive as hell so i'm not that that big of a fan but (laughs) yeah i've got to look for when that next time i go to a try to find a well-stocked um bar see what they got maybe i'll try one there try a little bit definitely recommend it oh show all right all righty good whiskey talk guys heck yeah So before we get into the discussion on the albums, uh, since Jake was not here last week for our Motorhead Part 1 episode, and Ed and Sailor and myself kind of discussed how we got into Motorhead and our experiences with Motorhead, uh, you know, we want to give the floor to Jake right now to see what his experience is with the band and how he got into it and, you know, if he likes it or he fucking hates it. So, <laughs> Jake? <laughs> well, so we've referenced... Uh in, in prior discussions that uh, that a while back we recorded what we what we had originally called dearly uh, um, departed episode where we we talked about a few few artists that uh, had passed away and and uh, we had added Lemmy into the discussion on on that episode and, and like we said it uh, it just technically was not good the audio quality was bad on the episode and so we didn't get released but i actually came into motorhead studying for that episode okay. and i watched a bunch of youtube videos on lemmy and <clears throat> kind of uh i mean i had heard of motorhead and after like oh, oh okay i've heard ace of spades you know it's kind of like one of those things where mm-hmm. once i got listening to him i i recognize a couple of songs that i had heard you know along the way but uh <clears throat> um i you know just listening more and more i i really really enjoyed it i i think uh if i was gonna bring one criticism i, I think that uh <clears throat> a lot of the earlier albums are kind of repetitive i think his songwriting maybe is a bit pigeonholed at times. And uh, so I kind of lose interest. I will say I really enjoy listening to Motorhead kind of while I'm drinking, you know, when you're not, (laughs) when you're not, I mean, and that's not a knock because I mean, heck these guys were living it up when they were playing it. So I'm sure Lenny would have, would have appreciated that. Oh yeah. But it's, it is. I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, this kind of music isn't meant to like, dissect the, you know how complex the song is and and uh that's rock and roll <laughs> did you guys watch <laughs> i texted you guys earlier uh a video about tools lateralis did you guys watch that video i did not oh yet. no <laughs> okay so complete opposite if you want to see how one <laughs> band will go through ridiculous lengths to like 
mathematically perfect a song, then uh, then go to YouTube and search polyphonic lateralis, and it'll blow your mind. But Motorhead is not the tool. They're not that band. They're not that band that's going to, you know, blow your mind with technicality and complexity they're gonna they're gonna they're just a flat-out rock and roll band when i listen to the early stuff it's like man this is you know i would put this in a really awesome mix with some like alice cooper and some fog hat and you're right jake i agree that uh motorhead isn't one of those bands that you get into uh, try to dissect the meaning of life or anything like that. I mean, they just want to melt your face off, basically. Yeah, no, and that's and, and that's awesome about and that's it. cool. I mean, it's, it's I mean you good. got yeah. bands like that. Yeah, it's it's really solid uh, rock and roll music, and you know, I think uh, I actually I really enjoyed uh, some of this more recent stuff that he was doing. Uh, I thought it was really cool. I, you know, as the as time went on, the the drums and the guitar got a little heavier, and uh, and you know, Lemmy kind of stayed Lemmy, and yeah. so it it kind of started pulling more into the style of music that maybe I listened to more often. Um, with uh, you know, with Lemmy shouting straight up into the air into his microphone, so. Um, so yeah, I, I, I had mentioned that, you know, I, I do really like Motorhead, you know, it's, it's, they're not one of my, you know, favorite bands, but, but at the same time, I listen to them and I dig it. There's, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have any, I, I couldn't sit here and, and be like, ugh, you know, I, I just don't care. It's not that at all. I've really, I, I dig their music. Like I said, if I'm, if I'm having some drinks and I, put motorhead on you know you can just kind of it gets your blood flowing a bit oh yeah definitely i'm right there with you it's kind of it's kind of fits right into that perfect mold of uh good drinking music because kind of when music's a little too heavy it's not that great for drinking but also you don't want it you know you don't want to fall asleep this kind of fits right into that spot where it it makes you want to move around but at the same time you know not be overly aggressive. <laughs> it's not death metal. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> by a long stretch. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree with you. They are all good points. So what, uh, what did you guys think about overkill? I've really liked this album. Um, from now, granted, there, there, neither of these albums I thought were there was a lot of, a lot of variation um, in this. <coughs> but um, I thought Overkill, you know, for not having listened to it before, I thought it was a solid album, um, and that would be one I would definitely um, come back to again. Um, like you described it, Jake, it wasn't, it's not deep or anything like that. It's just good, good freaking rock and roll. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, before we continue, I just wanted to give a little background on the album. I know Sailor did a timeline last week, but um, real quick, uh, Overkill is the second studio album by Motorhead. 
uh, was released in 1979, uh, and it peaked at number 24 on the UK charts. Just to put it in perspective a little bit, uh, you know, for me, you know, unlike you guys and like Sailor, I'm a huge, <coughs> huge, huge Motorhead fan. If you didn't realize that from listening to last week's show, uh, just to reiterate that point, but uh, I think that. A lot of times with bands, we've discussed bands on this show, you know, time and time again, that sometimes it takes four or five or six or seven or eight albums to really find their sound, find their groove, uh, you know, whatever band you talk about. Some of them, it takes a very long time for them to find their groove, find their sound, find their best mm-hmm. that they can put forward. And, you know, I think Motorhead was one of those that really found it rather quickly i think that this album while i don't don't think that they reached their the top of what they could do they pretty much for the most part found their sound on this album uh there's some things in there uh there's there are a few songs in there that had a little bit of like a bluesy feel to them a little bit less abrasive than what what you'll hear on later motorhead stuff um which i dig i have no problem with it at all uh, I mentioned last week that I felt Motorhead was one of those bands that once they found their sound, they never really deviated from it. And, you know, you can't disregard some of the tracks on this album. Obviously, the title track, Overkill, is amazing. Uh, you know, um, you know, going down the whole line, just a great album from front to back. But I think that they were like 80% to where they needed to be. I think 80% they they had found their sound they were still playing with some other stuff um but i I mean i agree with ed i think this album from from front to back it's it's a very qual very good quality album Mm -hmm. um and you know it's one that i would put on my playlist any day of the week and i gotta remind myself when i'm looking when i'm listening to this it's like this is 1979 yeah when they put this out (laughs) It's oh, pretty yeah. progressive. Oh for yeah, 1970. Very it is. Yeah, I think, man, this does not sound to me what I think a 1979 rock and roll album should sound like. Well, that's where, like, I don't know if we mentioned this when we talked about like Ozzy Osbourne, but Ozzy kind of gets that whole like Godfather of metal or whatever. But when I look over, you know, the historical lexicon of of what would be deemed metal music Mm -hmm. to me motorhead was that first the first band that was really pushing into what maybe what we now consider you know from a hindsight perspective what we now consider as metal right i mean i I don't listen to black sabbath and i don't i don't hear but you have to remember in 79 sabbath was at least the aussie sabbath was dead it was dying it was dying a, a slow death and right. yeah, yeah yeah so i mean and and then these guys you know with their with this release um you know because i I'm think that throughout yeah. any of ozzy's <clears throat> i mean okay there was some you know ozzy black sabbath stuff maybe kind of led to this point with motorhead but i don't know i mean even 1977 was when self-titled motorhead came out and I don't know. When I listen to that, I I, don't know. I I think it sounds 
more metal than anything else at this time. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm listening to this, this album in particular, I can hear, maybe it's through the guitars, um, this is a t- point in time where um, the British punk scene was thriving. Um, <clears throat> I can almost hear oh, yeah. some of the influence of some of the the, the punk bands oh, of for the sure. time in this oh, music. For sure. Um, some of the, the rhythms, uh, the guitar, the, the heavy beat, the beat, the way the beats are and everything too, kind of, you know, I reminiscent of, um, some of the seventies <clears> punk bands. Oh yeah. And I always well, said keep... that. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Matt. Well, I was going to say to your point, Ed, um, and I know maybe, maybe even Lemmy said this, but I, you know, if he said it, I agree with him. But one thing I've always said is that that motorhead was a band that completely bridged the gap. They bridged the gap because they they attracted all of the hardcore punk fans, mm-hmm. music fans, and they attracted all of the thrash fans that oh, came I out could totally in the, in the early to mid eighties. Yeah. yeah, and they were that perfect medium between the two genres, the two groups of fans. Oh, and, there's there's no yeah. there's no question why <clears throat> when you hear uh, interviews with Everybody of the early thrash era, like who was their main influences? Motorhead always comes up, mm-hmm. always. And you hear it I with mean, all the two, gr- a, you, to a man yeah. hits every single one of them. And you hear it with all the grunge guys too. So I mean, Dave Grohl, mm-hmm. top influence was Lemmy, Nirvana, yeah. Alice yeah. in Chains. Oh, definitely. They all point and to Metallica. Lemmy as being the yeah. I heard you know it interviews with both James and Lars said there would be no Metallica if there wasn't a Motorhead. Exactly. <clears throat> and I think uh, from a, maybe from a slightly more technical standpoint, it, it could be thought too that if you think of kind of how, how metal the genre has evolved, it's continued to get deeper and deeper and darker, Right. Yep. So, you know, earlier on, guys were playing and they were kind of distorting their amps and and guitars and standard tunings. And then they kind of started dropping tunings, doing drop D and, you know, different stuff like that. But where, where Lemmy was a true uh, kind of pioneer, and I think, I think this is why I, I maybe give him more credit to uh you know spurring that that metal sound forward is that he was playing chords on a bass oh yeah i mean he was playing he was playing like a guitar player on a bass on a distorted bass so he naturally he didn't have to tune down a guitar to get a lower tuning he was already playing a bass Mm -hmm. like a guitar player would play a guitar i mean for one Nobody was doing that. Nope. Nobody yeah. was doing that at that time. Nobody played bass like him. Nobody sounded like him. You know, it was... I think that was yeah. when when we first... That was, I think, the biggest thing that, that made me incredibly... Just so intrigued by Lemmy. And, and probably really made me a fan of that, of Motorhead's sound. Is that... Uh, you know, I I was a bass player. I I played bass mm-hmm. in a band, and I oh man, I I just I really could appreciate immediately 
his style of playing because it was just so different. Mm-hmm. You know, I had seen other guys do that style, but to see like the pioneer, it was really cool. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Okay, well, it sounds like um, we all like we it. We all like that album. Yeah. What do, um, would you say? I guess if I was gonna, maybe this is like, uh, maybe this is an obvious statement. Yeah. But I mean, our overkill and damage case is that kind of your guys' two favorite songs on this album? I can tell you what my least favorite song on this album is, and which one I wish they would have never done is the cover of Louie Louie. I mean, I'd like... Was that on the original <laughs> album, or was that added as a bonus on a, on a different edition? <laughs> I only have access to the deluxe edition, so okay. maybe, maybe that, that was that added That wasn't on, on the original album. Okay. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I like album. Too Late, Too Late also. Yeah, that was a good song. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what was the... Uh... Oh, um, so, <clears throat> No Class. I hate to say this but I'm pretty sure No Class is a straight uh, copy of another song, and now I wish I would have... I was listening to it while I was making my kids dinner, so oh, I couldn't write, yes, I couldn't I know write what you're down in my about. mouth what it was, but oh, as soon as I heard the guitar riff at the beginning of the song, uh, Ed, is it possible that you could play a clip of it? Because I thought the same thing that you brought up. I'm like, yes! ZZ Top. All right, so when was that released? Tush by ZZ Top. When was that released? 1975. Listeners. Oh, 75. So, okay, so, so you came, listeners, so came you after, listeners yeah. just heard a clip of of uh, of No Class off of Overkill, and we all thought the same exact thing as soon as we listened to the clip, just like you guys did. I hope you all heard ZZ Top. Uh, was it? Tush. Is that, uh, yeah. It's Tush. So four Tush came on night. Before this album was released. <laughs> yeah. And it is, I mean, it's a balls on <laughs> take off of that song. And, I mean, hey, you know what? I guess I got to listen to ZZ Top a little bit more. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's dead on. It's pretty, I, as soon as, as soon as that, it started playing because I was listening to it in my headphones and I was like, oh, cool. He covered Tush. And I thought that <laughs> as soon as I heard the guitar riff and uh, and then it was not. It was not that song at all. It was. Uh, <laughs> that, that's so hilarious. That's the first thing I thought is, oh, they're covering ZZ Top. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway. But I did. I do really like that song. Yeah, I, really I like do that too. Song. It's a great song. That got me thinking. Man, I gotta want to go back and listen to a lot of the old ZZ Top albums that I've. But anyway, maybe we'll do that on a future episode. Real quick, uh, before we jump into Ace of Spades, let's uh, let's fill our glasses. I think I think I might need to eat a cough drop real quick. Get All some, right. Try to get some of my voice back. <laughs> so let's take a quick break. Come back and talk about Ace of Spades. Like to gamble, I tell you how you land. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. The pleasure is to blame. 
Alright, we are back with full glasses and empty bladders. So, now we're going to talk about Ace of Spades. And uh, Matt, I think you might have a little information pertinent to the album for us. Just a little, Jake, thank you. Um, Ace of Spades is the fourth studio album uh, from Motorhead. Uh, it was released in November of 1980. Uh, it's incredibly, it peaked at number four on the UK album charts. It actually That's reached gold. It is. It actually reached gold status <laughs> by March of 81. Um, wow. So not very far, not much time had, had passed since its release, it released, uh, reached gold status. Uh, That's actually, actually yeah. to, to not to not just gloss over that point of how how big that is. I mean, you're talking four months, yeah. Hmm. I mean, in 1980, you know, to be certified gold in 1981 for, you know, a hard rock metal album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nowadays uh, an album goes platinum in a day and it's stupid because, A, there's almost 8 billion people on the planet, but also, you know, network of distribution is so much greater than what it was at that time. I mean, hard rock metal albums didn't go gold and number four. Very true. In night time, I mean, that's that's really incredible. And to that point, it was actually the band's debut release in the United States. So that probably <laughs> yeah. had a little something to do with it. They were being yeah, introduced sure. to a new audience. Yep. Um, all right, so what do you guys think about this album? <sighs> Hard for me to not give away how I feel without saying how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Say how you feel. <laughs> I'm you know, from the, from the sound what Jake just said, I'm guessing that he and I were probably like like many other times we kind of have similar similar palettes when it comes to music. I think in in quite a bit of instances, this one it starts out <clears throat> obviously with one of their I think their their signature sound signature tunes, Ace of Spades. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that when you're talking Motorhead. Um, once See, you I'm pass- not. I'm not a huge. Honestly, I mean, it's a good song, but it's 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 really far. Ace of Spades. It's it's a it's their catchiest tune. Yeah, I'll give them that. And it's it's. I mean, if there's like a hundred million streams of it on Spotify, so it's certainly well listened to. Yeah, but I mean, my opinion, it's it's far from their best song. Okay. That said, though, um, far from my favorite song. Once you get past that, in my opinion, the, the album, I mean, it's good. It's very fast. Um, I mean, if you're 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 drinking a lot, yeah, it's a great album to kind of headbang to. But it Wait, gets what? a little repetitive. A lot? It what? gets a little <laughs> repetitive. Um, this album just didn't grab me the what as the way Overkill did. I. I don't know. It's just it just didn't do it for me. Um, I don't know what it was. Yeah. But I I went into this with pretty high expectations for the album. I did too. Given the cover and everything else, but I don't know. It to me, it's just an okay. I think if you would have if you would have asked me uh, before we. before we decided what two albums to do the album battle for, if you just said without listening to these back to back, you know, in full album form, which is going to be your favorite, I would have said Ace of Spades. 
Yeah, that would have been my I, guess. I would have thought that. But then, you know, spending some critical time between the two, and uh, that's just not the case for me. I, I, I started to get a little bit bored with this album. Matt, what are your Matt, thoughts? You're like falling out of your chair over there, and not because you're hammered yet. No. <laughs> with all due respect, you guys are fucking crazy. <laughs> All right, that's did my, what we like did my to reference, hear. Did my reference just go right out the window? No, no. I get, All right, I tell, us how, tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, let me start personally. So personally, and I've said this time and time and time again on this show, I love an album that kicks my ass from beginning to end, whether it be Painkiller, like we talked about, or you know, one of the Misfits albums we talked about, or one of the Van Halen albums we talked about, whatever it was we talked about, an album that can that can continually punch me in the face from track one to track 10 or 15 or whatever it is, will always win out for me. So well, it definitely mm. does that. It does that, yes. So number one, I you have that. I you there. Yes. Number two, you already have the basis of Motorhead, Motorhead finding their sound. Now, remember, this is only a year from when they released Overkill. <clears throat> so it's a short yeah. period of time. And this is the first album where it is fucking Motorhead. The Motorhead that I know, the Motorhead that I love, the one whereas you guys use the word repetitious. I could see that from the... Well, but you just yeah. pointed out that you want <clears throat> you want a constant vibe through the album. Yeah, vibe. Whereas yes. I... I truly prefer a roller coaster. Mm. I want ups and downs as far as tempo and uh, and different styles. I I I don't want a constant level of like speed bag through an album. Like I I want more of you know a lot of different <clears throat> sounds. So that's so it, it, that's the thing is. That's why that's why you can't ever say like this is oh this album is good or bad. No, it's just what do you think of this album? Right. I don't think it's a bad album. I I think it's a great album. We're just talking about which album to me. Prefer. I I think that because whereas you love the constant pace, the constant pace to me got uh, exhausting. But to me, it goes back to the crux <laughs> of the, the crux of something I said last week. Was I love this band because they never changed who they were at their core, and I think I would absolutely it, agree. With you that. know, and they and they never ch- really changed their sound. Uh, you know, albeit maybe one or two things along the way they they did some different things with, but overall, <laughs> no, their core, the core sound, the core sound was right. always exactly there. Exactly. It was always there was there. always they never deviated. It was always yeah. Lemmy. It was always uh-huh. Lemmy, exactly, Lemmy. exactly. Um, no, and no matter who they had on drums or bass, or uh, drums or guitar, excuse me, um, you know, <clears throat> Lemmy was the driving force, and he was the one that kept the sound consistent. You know, my opinion aside, from a historical standpoint, I think this album is so important on so many levels, and I think that all three of us, admittedly so, being um, maybe not UJ, but but thrash metal in general being fans of thrash metal, but more importantly, being fans of a band like Metallica. Um, this album, I think is the gateway album for 
that transition from <clears throat> the new wave into American thrash metal. I Are think you calling this, this their the black album? album? I can see that. No. No. It sounds like what no. you're saying. <laughs> no. <clears throat> no, I, I think... Because of, whereas think this is might... a pre- progression, that album yeah. is a degression... No, well, let's not go there. No, let's I not go there. Change. But, you, but I would listeners, you know that, how I feel about that already. No, I, I would say, I mean, if we're going to make the comparison, I would say Metallica's progression was more Master of Puppets. Correct. <clears throat> yes. That was where they made the progression from uh, more thrash, of a dude. concert, you know, in your face kind of band to more of a. Um, a more production valued type of band. But anyways, I think we're both, we're both talking about the same thing is that this is where they, this is where they progressed is what you're saying. Correct. Yes. Yes. But I also think this was, this was, this was a window opener for, I think Ed was thinking more like with black, black album was where more, they black album was where, Metallica um, was seen by more people. So yes, in one sense, Ace of Spades does relate to Black Album in that sense, that this was their first album released in the United States. So this was their um, first truly commercially successful album. True, but I also think it's their, musically, I think it's, I won't say pinnacle, because they had a lot of different successes after this, but I will say that it is their... They found their groove with this album. I would say that. Whereas this, I think if you're comparing this to Metallica, which if, I, I guess we are. Yeah. If if this style of album is the groove that you like, then you would say this is where they found their groove. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's <laughs> very it's very relative to the listener. Um, which is why we love music. It's why we, it's why we talk about it every week. It's because we know, can have different opinions about it. If I listen to this, these two mm-hmm. albums together, this is this is really funny. And you didn't tell me which came first. I would have guessed that Ace of Spades would have come first. To me, I, Ace of Spades I totally sounds agree. a little more raw, a little yeah. more unpolished, and Overkill sounds a little, a little more well developed of an album. I, that's ex- I thought the same exact thing. I, I felt that way. I, I felt like I felt like there was a, maybe just a touch more. Um, I don't know if experimentation is the word, but maybe like I don't know, variation in Overkill. Well, variation is a good one because they're not known for being po- they're not known for being polished. I mean, they're this very obviously raw. isn't a typical band, but typically the don't way you see the bands progress, the it would, you would yeah. normally think of those two <laughs> albums as being flip flopped in the timeline. So and again, yeah. again, like I said last week, is that you could listen to an album of theirs from the mid '80s, like Sailor mentioned, Orgasmatron, and then listen to one of these albums and maybe not be able to differentiate when the albums were released, production quality aside, because the sound is consistent. But yeah, you're right. If you listen to both these albums, you could flip flop the years easily. I think if we were going to do a battle where Orgasmatron was in the mix, then the whiskey pairing would have been Dickel. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Okay. So I couldn't resist. It, it's coming down <laughs> to, from what I'm reading, everybody, okay, I'm obviously for 
overkill. And Jake? I'm I am also on the overkill train. Okay. Ace of spades, man. Okay, and who has the sealed envelope for and Sailor was also Ace of Spades. Oh, so, so as, typical as this happened, fashion. Listeners. Typical episode. <laughs> a typical, typical result. We are uh, we are at a tie, and as, as is often the case, Ed and I are on one side, and Sailor and Matter on the other side. So this one, <laughs> damn it, is going to come down to a Facebook poll. Facebook poll with some Dickel and Orgasmatron. <laughs> what? That has nothing to do with it. Oh, all right. All right, folks, you heard it. So please, if you're not in our Facebook up to group, you. you've got to join. You've got to vote. So, and if you did enjoy this show, we hope you'll join us next week. We'll, we'll be discussing another band and having another album battle. And you will find out later what that is. But until then, Matt and Jake, have you guys been listening to anything interesting lately? Oh my goodness. I have. <clears throat> um, you know, Matt, uh, you've you've mentioned the Joe Rogan podcast a few different times. Yes. And, <clears throat> you know, years ago, uh, I had listened to a couple episodes of Joe Rogan because, it, you know, he was very early uh, in the in, you know, podcasting and um, I, I don't know. I just didn't really catch my attention for some reason, whether I mean, I. I think he had been the episodes I listened to. He had just been talking to different stand-up comedians or something like that, and I don't know. I I just it just wasn't my style to listen to. And uh, <clears throat> through another um, a YouTube channel that I listened to, they referenced that he had been talking to this uh, like paleontologist in this episode, and I was like, oh, oh yes. what? Dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly <laughs> so the episode I, you're talking about. I went over and I listened to this episode, and I was blown away with, uh, for one, for with how great of an interview interviewer Joe Rogan is. I mean, yep. he keeps such an open mind through the entire interview. He asks great <laughs> questions. He never makes it about himself. Um. I mean, he does. He he does such a great job. He 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 creates such a safe platform for his guests to truly open up and discuss, and he gives them time to. I mean, because they're three hour episodes. Yeah. So I love the long form format where they have plenty of time, where it's not just stupid sound bites like we're spoon fed in. You know, most media channels nowadays, these people are given plenty of time to fully dissect and support any of their theories. And and uh, and I have been, man, I think I in the last um, well, in the last like week and a half since we since we well, two weeks since we last spoke with each other, I think I've listened to. um, Oh, my gosh, probably. 50 plus episodes of the Joe Rogan podcast. I've been completely going nuts. And I'll tell you to his credit, he makes 
at least in my opinion, people that I would find less interesting, a lot more interesting. Yes. Um, and no, no, for, I mean, I mean, because like but he had an episode. You're right, Ed. That's exactly. Yeah, he had, he had an episode with, um, what's his nuts from Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Billy Corgan. Uh, and who is, you know, he's Chicago, he, and Ed, he's Chicago, Chicago through and through. Chicago, Yeah, he is Chicago through and through, and he talks about his passion for the city and, you know, going back there, being famous, and, you know, the problems the city has had. And you listen to him talk about it, and you're like, wow, this guy is, he's a normal <clears throat> Sorry, dude my, who my, cares my about ug. where he came from. <clears throat> I have not listened and, to that episode, but my my ug, I should explain, that I love Smashing Pumpkins. And they were one of the worst live shows I've ever seen in my life. Really? Which is huh. they were they're one of the examples of of a band that I I mean I've ever since Siamese Dream came out. I've I loved mm-hmm. Smashing Pumpkins. Oh yeah. And I saw them now given Billy Corgan has one of those voices where I could see, you know, over time or live probably is hard to recreate the sound that you'll get on an album mm-hmm. live. And I saw them in, it was mid late nineties. I think I was still in high school. So like late nineties <clears throat> and, uh, and they weren't, I, it was just terrible. It's one of those bands that, you know, lived in the early to mid nineties that came out of like post grunge, like yeah. them and live. Yeah. And, oh man. Um, I was just listening to some live the other yeah, day. Yeah. And uh, like blind oh, melon bands like that, that just, <laughs> you know, they fed off of the success of that, that little, yep. you know, Siamese dream genre. genre. Yeah. Album, man, that was really great. Dude. But live, no, throw- yeah. live throwing copper is a great album. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, That's like an album of like was, if you want to take like a sample, a sample of like the mid '90s or the early mid '90s, and you're talking was, about music. That's one of the albums you take. What was Live's? What was that album they had that was like Solid Black? It was. Um, ah, damn it! it! Had a weird name. That was a really good one too. Damn it! It was like their third, second or third album. Yeah, but They've throwing copper was their big, their big yeah. breakthrough. Yeah. Well, well, we're gonna have to have an episode where we discuss some of those kind of like post grunge bands, bands yeah. like that because there's so many good ones. That exactly. We could, yeah. That yeah. we could discuss that. That would be a fun episode to do. <clears throat> well, Matt, what have you been listening to? Well, one thing in particular, and I mean, aside from aside from watching like badass WWE matches live. <laughs> yeah well mine kind of links into that so um, but you don't have to be a WWE fan to appreciate this so I actually well you, you recently know, you recently went to a WWE right yes live. our first WWE show in Miami yes what what venue was that it was at? awesome that was American Airlines Arena where the Miami Heat play oh okay yeah, awesome. yeah. so very small arena. wasn't impressed at all by. It's probably like a fifty thousand. No, no, very small. Not even that. Very small. Yeah. And NBA. It looks a lot are bigger. Surprisingly small. It looks a lot bigger from the. Sh- it, it looks imposing from the street. Mm-hmm. You get inside, you get to your seat, and it's like, wow, this place is really small. But <laughs> no, it was a good time. Really good time. Um, but I recently had the chance to see. Uh, on HBO, the documentary about Andre the Giant. 
<clears throat> which oh, was really oh, which one that'd be interesting the, it was the documentary about his life that was just released i guess earlier earlier this year um because there was one that came out like 15 years ago or something yeah this is like the in-depth two-hour kind of look at his life and his career and see you that's know, more than i was a big wrestling fan yes yeah so i mean more than this is more about more than just the wrestler, it's about the man, the movie star, you know, the public figure. More than just the wrestler, because I mean, he, he obviously transcended um, as a figure, transcended wrestling, you know, into Hollywood and yeah, he was a pop everything. culture figure, not just a, a wrestling po- figure. Actually, yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he was, was a living he was a special he was a living man. myth. He was, he was a, a living, living myth. myth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his like his his height weight was just so exaggerated from day oh, yeah. to day. It was, and and what's amazing is that, and, and and watching this documentary and everyone that they interviewed for this, things that people told them about Andre, they believed right away just because of his mm-hmm. size. Oh, he's yeah. got two hearts. Okay, he's yeah. got two rows of teeth like a shark. <laughs> everyone believed this stuff just because of how, you know, big he was. Like, oh, his, you know, the ring on his ring finger can fit around a normal man's wrist. Like, everyone believed it. It wasn't just they, they didn't go out and try to test this stuff. They just believed it because he was who he was. Um, so, I mean, if you're looking for a show to watch, if you have HBO about a very unique individual in history, I would definitely recommend I've, watching that. I have a question for you. So you've yeah. So you've watched that documentary and you've also I mean, I I really I was super big in, into uh, when it was WWF, when it was. You know, Andre the Giant and Hulkamania and, mm-hmm. you know, Randy Savage and all my buddies called me, you know, Jake the Snake. Yeah, of course. Roberts. And, <laughs> but what I would love to hear your thoughts. So because Andre the Giant definitely went through this progression as well, as have so many other wrestlers through the WW whatever uh, life cycle where they go from the beloved to the villain mm-hmm. what what's with that why well, that, why is that well it's funny you say that because that was a huge 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 gigantic i can't even put into words how so big a, that was when he went bad so when what yeah. they call they he, he turned heel so um everybody's all the major guys had done it didn't that yeah. happen to hulk, hulk hogan at one point yeah yes yeah. and that's also huge too um i mean you talk about you know, seismic shifts in a, in a business, you talk, you, you turn, you turn to two, the two guys when they turned bad was Andre was the first one, mm-hmm. you know, cable TV was catching on with wrestling. Um, it was getting huge with Hulk Hogan and he needed that foil as a heel. Andre was coming back from ankle surgery. So they had him do that. And it was a shock to many people that were watching it that, you know, original wrestling fans, they didn't know what was <laughs> going on. They didn't know, that there was a storyline and a script that was a big deal to them because they knew Andre from, you know, being the big lovable giant. And yeah. all of a sudden he turns heel on Hulk Hogan, who's now the <laughs> new face of wrestling. Why and am then, I blanking? Was it? And then Ed, when you Bride? mentioned was it Princess, Princess Bride, Bride yes. he was in. Yeah. Oh God, he was so good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they have, if you watch that documentary there, they, they interview some people that were on, that were in that movie Billy Crystal, Rob Reiner, the director, mm-hmm. um, Carrie Elways, who was the star. Yep. Um, and they tell stories of him and behind the scenes stuff. It's so good. It's really so good. So I definitely recommend That's, checking that out. 
that always fascinated me. And uh, I, I think actually to tie our two stories together, I think it was Joe Rogan was actually in one of the episodes I was listening to a couple of days ago, discuss that similar topic of, of Andre the Giant going, you know, going from the, that, you know, beloved gentle giant to the villain mm-hmm. and in that like, you know, digression or whatever you want to call it. But Ed, what about best, you? It was best for business. Well, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. It's yeah. entertainment business. Yep. Yeah. Well, for me, um, I don't have a lot to say. This is a fairly new podcast. Um, I've just kind of started listening to, um, I follow a guy on Instagram um, he's a, a woodworker. Um, he goes by the handle Old so- Old South Woodcraft. You guys know who, who I'm talking about? I follow a few different... I mean, being that I am a carpenter, I yeah. follow a few different carpenters on Instagram, but I don't yeah, really follow a- that guy. Apparently, yeah, he's worth checking out. He's got some good stuff. He likes to do a lot of like hand, hand tooling, hand uh, woodworking and stuff like that. He takes old... Um, like old planers and stuff like that and hmm. uh, restores them and it's pretty cool stuff he puts out there. Um, so anyway, he recently got involved with a new podcast um, called uh, Maker Vision Podcast, and you know I've you know, I'm not a anything near a master woodworker or anything like that, but I have dabbled in in small you know projects and stuff in the past, and and I'll do occasionally I'll do build things like recently I just built a stairway up to a you know we've got a, an above ground pool. Um, but mm-hmm. anyway, um, so if you're Is it interested, Old South Woodcraft. Yeah. Okay. If you're interested at all in uh, woodcraft, they've got a new um, Maker Vision podcast out where they try to go through and um, kind of give you a lot of useful information um, for woodcrafting and things like that. And oh, I just wanted to give them give them a shout out um, because I think it could be a, a really good. Uh, podcast and um, I know um, old South. What's his name? Stephen Ellis, Old South Woodcraft. He's a pretty good dude. So, shout out to them. Very cool. I still watch. Uh, I still watch uh, this old house. Oh wow! Yeah, that's going I, way back. I, man, I watched it with my dad as a kid yeah. growing up, and I, I I sit on the couch and watch it with my daughter still. <laughs> Throw it up, you know. Watch uh, PBS and. Oh yeah, Bob Vila and Norm Abrams. Oh man. So it's you know it's a new cast. Well, there's a so the new one is I think it's Ask Ask This Old House. I think is the newer version of it. Okay. <clears throat> and they've got kind of a a newer crew. They've been I mean they've been around. I shouldn't say newer. They've been around for quite a while. But sure. yeah, it's I've always found that to be like I you know I mentioned I've I've. I've been in in this industry for 20 years, and I've always found that show to be one of the most accurate portrayals of of what it's like to be a tradesperson for real. I mean, if you yeah. watch HGTV and you think any of that's real, it's not. <laughs> Nobody does a house in a week, and if they're doing a house in a week, then they're not doing it to code, and they're not doing it properly. Right. That's just not how things go. Well, yeah, you could see. I I know exactly what you're talking about because in this old house, you could have them working on one project through a whole season. Yeah. You know? Oh, they're, they're, <laughs> when, they, when they redo an old house from top to bottom, an old Victorian, they spend a year on it. Yeah. And that's how long it takes. I've done yep. 
three vic- three Victorian houses full gut now, and all three of them have taken me at least a year. Yeah. And it's it's legit. I mean, it takes time. Every time you get into something, something comes up, <laughs> and you got to do it right. Yeah. No, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. That sounds awesome. Sailor, what have you been listening to? I've just been driving across Actually, country listening what did to she, music. What did she post today that she was listening to like uh she was listening to like stock prices of corn while she was driving? <laughs> she was driving through like some way out in the middle of freaking nowhere radio station and they were talking about uh like listening the stock to the, like, the farm report. It sounds yeah, like that's exactly what it was, I think. She was listening to like the corn report. And- <laughs> That's oh, probably all she posted get out it there. On, on like now, Facebook or Instagram. You can't get much more Midwestern than that, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, I have a cornfield in my yard, but I don't listen to like corn prices. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you want to get us out of here? Yeah, let's get out of here. All right. So to all of our listeners, our fellow metal rock and whiskey obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly, at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is whiskey. Save the E. Of course it it is. (laughs) Save it. Don't need it. And you can also find me (laughs) on Instagram as well, at Bourbon Geek. How about you, Jake? Well, you can find our uh, our good friend Sailor at Sailor Retro on Instagram and probably everywhere else. Um, you can find me at Bourbon.Spartan on Instagram. And uh, this was a lot of fun, guys. I I mean, oh, yeah. always always sad when Sailor can't make it, but I think we had a good time. Um, my voice is like. 90% gone from when we started. I think this is what, uh, I think Jack Daniels is what does it. This is what gives Lemmy his sound. Um, <laughs> and apparently if I want to have a Lemmy sound, I need to just drink Jack Daniels every time you we gotta record. Put, you got to put your podcast mic up here. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why I need, yeah. uh, need to hang it from the ceiling or something. <laughs> but anyways, my uh, my glass is empty. Tip your waitress, guys. We are out. Later, everyone. Later. All right, ready? Later. Everyone. Fuck Fuck you, you, Lars. Lars. (laughs) I love you, Lars.